بسم الله الرحمن الرحيم الحمد لله رب العالمين والصلاة والسلام على أشرف الأنبياء والمرسلين نبينا محمد وعلى آله وأصحابه أجمعين أما بعد السلام عليكم ورحمة الله وبركاته اللهم انفعنا بما علمتنا وعلمنا ما ينفعنا وارزقنا علما تنفعنا به آمين رب العالمين الحمد لله uh, We've reached lesson number two tonight of our creed of the righteous uh, الحمد لله and last week we started speaking about we gave it like an introductory lesson where we spoke about the importance of uh, having ikhlas the importance of seeking knowledge or firstly the importance of having a sincere intention in all acts of worship in all matters and then secondly we spoke about the importance um, of seeking knowledge in islam and the great status that seeking knowledge has in al-islam alhamdulillah and we mentioned that we will be covering the book over the next cover the next coming months insha'Allah the book Thalathatul Usul uh, which covers the three fundamental principles um, and of course we'll be going through a commentary on this insha'Allah ta'ala so tonight we will start immediately with the book starting with the first few uh, points of benefit that we can derive from this book the book is by Sheikh Ibn Abdul Wahab rahimahullah and it has been taught, as we mentioned previously, by many, many scholars and many ulama advise that people study this book as well as teach this book as often as they can. And some scholars would, for example, after each salah or after at least daily, once a day in the masajid, they would open up the book and read a portion of the book because of the benefit that the book contains and because of the, the basics of the deen that it contains that each Muslim really is required to know Alhamdulillah So the author Rahimahullah He starts off the book by saying Bismillahirrahmanirrahim In the name of Allah The most merciful, the most compassionate And this is of course on the sunnah of Allah Subhanahu wa ta'ala The way Allah started off the, the, the Quran Is to start off by Mentioning his name And this is how Rasulullah Sallallahu alayhi wa sallam Started off as well when he wrote a letter he started off by mentioning the name of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. So when we say Bismillah in this way, we are seeking the assistance of Allah. We are seeking the blessings of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala and his, his greatest name by saying in the name of Allah, Ar-Rahman, Ar-Rahim. And these are two of his great names. Ar-Rahman, the most merciful. Ar-Rahman means the one who is the owner of mercy. He's the owner of mercy and he has perfect attributes of mercy. Ar-Rahim refers to a similar meaning, the compassionate. And some ulama interpreted this to say, Ar-Rahim refers to the one who bestows mercy upon others. So Ar-Rahman is the owner of mercy, the one who's described with mercy. And Ar-Rahim is the one who shows mercy to others. Especially to that of the Muslimin and the Mu'mineen. That he shows a special type of mercy to the believers. As Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala says, وَكَانَ بِالْمُؤْمِنِينَ رَحِيمًا That he is to the mu'mineen, to the believers, he is rahiman. He is compassionate and merciful to them because he shows them a great and a special um, amount of mercy. Walhamdulillah. The author then starts and he says, اِعْلَمْ رَحِمَكَ اللَّهِ اِعْلَمْ رَحِمَكَ اللَّهِ And this means, know, may Allah have mercy upon you. So, when he starts like this and he says, I'lam, and this is a, an instruction in the Arabic language and a, a command in the Arabic language, which means no. And the wisdom behind this is to gain the attention of, of the readers. 
to gain the attention of the, of, of the audience, that they should be aware of what's going to come, that there is some important points that need to be made and important information that needs to be gathered. Rahimak Allah. And then he says, may Allah have mercy upon you. May Allah have mercy upon you. And this again is from the, from the good intention of the author, from his kindness to the, the readers, to the students, to those who are studying this book, that may Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala have mercy upon you, meaning may Allah forgive your sins. May Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala distance you away from that which is displeasing to, to him. So in this way, he's gathering and this shows, or this is the way of the, 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 the true people of, who, who advise others, the sincere advisors, when they gather between guiding people, teaching people, and also praying for them, and also making a valuable supplication and a valuable dua for them. أَنَّهُ يَجِبُ عَلَيْنَا تَعَلُّمُ أَرْبَعِ مَسَائِلَةِ He says that it is obligatory upon us, it is wajib upon us, it is obligatory upon us to learn and to study four issues. That there are four issues which is compulsory upon every single Muslim, every single mukallaf baligh person to, to, trans, to, to, to study. And to learn and to understand. Al-Ula Al-Ilm. The first of which is knowledge. The first of which is Al-Ilm, which is knowledge. This is the first issue which is of utmost importance that the Muslim understands. And then he says, Wahua Ma'rifatu Allah, Wa Ma'rifatu Nabiyihi, Wa Ma'rifatu Deen Islami, Bi'adillati. The author, Rahimahullah, then says, or he specifies what he means by that knowledge which is compulsory upon us to understand. And this is the, the topic of tonight's discussion. The topic of tonight's dis discussion is what is compulsory for every Muslim to know? Last week we spoke about, and whoever missed the class, inshallah, try to uh, get last week's lecture where we spoke about the importance of knowledge and some of the ayat from the Quran and some ahadith that speaks and mentions the importance and the great status of seeking knowledge in Islam. Tonight we are speaking about what's compulsory for every Muslim to know and again inshallah if there's time we will speak about what some of the scholars had to say about the importance of seeking knowledge. So the author has told us it's compulsory upon us to learn and to seek knowledge. And then he mentions it in a very specific way, or he mentions a specific type of knowledge which is compulsory for us to know. Number one is the knowledge of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. Number two is the knowledge of his prophet. And number three is the knowledge of this religion of Islam along with its evidences. And so the reason he mentions these three points, these three points, they are the basis upon which Islam is built. They are three things. If we do not know them, then how can we be a practicing Muslim? If we don't know our maker, we don't know our creator, if we don't know our prophet whom we are instructed to follow, and if we don't know our religion, what it says, what it teaches, how then will we practice this religion? How then will we be a true practicing Muslim? So Islam, a Muslim cannot be a true practicing Muslim unless he gains some knowledge of these three points. The knowledge of his Rabb, of Allah, 
the knowledge of his prophet Muhammad sallallahu alaihi wasallam and the knowledge of Islam along with its evidences. And also he mentions these three specific points because these are the three questions that each person will be asked when he enters his qabr. Who is your Rabb? Who is your messenger or your prophet? And what is your religion? Basically will be said to this person. And only those who have knowledge of these aspects and lived according to these uh, three points will be able to answer them insha'Allah. What is also compulsory upon the Muslim and before we get into the three points, we will speak about them briefly again. But also, there are other things which are important for us to know as Muslimin. For example, Usulul Iman, the principles or the pillars of Iman, that is to believe in Allah, to believe in His angels, to believe in His books, to believe in His messengers, to believe in the good and the bad divine, or to believe in the year after, and then to believe in the good and the bad divine decree. These are the principles of Iman. This is compulsory for every Muslim to, to learn about and to study at least the basics of it. Likewise, some of the rulings of the Sharia and that which is compulsory for us to abstain from, meaning sins, disobedience, forbidden matters, these are things that Muslimin should strive to learn about, should strive to learn what is halal, what is haram, so that they may protect themselves from the anger and the punishment of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. And what they are in need of in terms of the mu'amalat, in terms of the dealings, dealings with one another, dealings with people with neighbors with families dealings in terms of business transactions and so forth so if a person is a businessman if a person is working in any particular field he needs to know the rulings and the regulations of that field as a doctor what am i allowed to do and what am i not allowed to do as an engineer the same as a businessman as a teacher whatever field it is that we find ourselves in we need to learn and speak to the ulama and speak to the scholars and find out what is it that's permissible for us to do in this in this field and what is it that we need to avoid in this field. It's not enough that we go study, get a degree and go work. Before doing that, we need to inquire about this type of work. Is this permissible in the first place? And if it is, what are the conditions? Where does it become impermissible and so forth? Wallahu musta'an. These are all what's required of a Muslim to know. And this is so that the Muslim, he can worship his Rabb with insight, with knowledge. That he worships his Rabb based upon knowledge. And that he comes closer to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala based upon clear evidences. And this is also why it's important for them to speak and to have a connection with, with scholars with people whom they can refer to and ask about that which they do not know. Imam Ahmad ibn Hanbal, rahimahullah ta'ala, he said, it is compulsory to seek knowledge about that which a person's religion is established upon. 
And so people asked him, like, what, oh Imam? Yani, what? Give us an example of what you are referring to. And so he said, that which he cannot afford to be ignorant of. There are certain things we as Muslimin cannot be, cannot afford to be ignorant of. Salatuhu wa siyamuhu wa nahwithalik. His salah, his fasting, etc. So we need to know about, for example, we mentioned the six pillars of Iman. Likewise, the five pillars of Islam. What does our shahada mean? What does la ilaha illallah mean? What does وَأَشْهَدُ أَنَّ مُحَمَّدًا رَسُولُ اللَّهِ mean? What does it stand for? What does it imply? What is the importance of salah? How do we make salah? What are the rules of salah? The same with zakah, the same with fasting, and the same with hajj. And the same with many other rulings of Islam. That this is the importance of seeking knowledge. Especially with that which applies to the individual. Whatever it is that we are in need of knowing, we need to learn this and this is what is compulsory upon us. Whatever is beyond that, whatever is beyond that, then this is what we refer to as fard kifaya. It's a communal obligation. Like studying in-depth knowledge. Knowledge of inheritance, for example. Knowledge of how to wash the dead body in Islam. This is not required for every person to know. As long as there are a few people in the community who have fulfilled this and studied it and, and, and applying this knowledge, then this is sufficient, insha'Allah, ta'ala, for the entire community. So we come back to what the author, rahimahullah, said. He said it's important that we study these four issues. Number one is knowledge. And this is what we'll be speaking about tonight, insha'Allah. Next week, we'll speak about the second point. The first aspect of knowledge which he said is compulsory is ma'rifatullah. That it's fard upon us to have knowledge of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. What does this mean? This means that he, the slave, he learns about his Rabb. He learns, he studies about his Rabb regarding what he subhanahu wa ta'ala described himself with in his book. And by that which his prophet and his messenger Muhammad sallallahu alayhi wa sallama described him with from his names and attributes and his actions. This is what it means to know Allah. That we need to refer to the Quran in the Sunnah to learn about Allah. There is no way that we can know who Allah is except by going to the sources of revelation. Except by referring to the Quran in the Sunnah. So we refer to the Quran and Sunnah to study firstly the names of Allah. The Asma'ul Husna, the perfect, most beautiful names of Allah. And to refer to him by his sifat, to learn about his, his characteristics and his descriptions as he described himself and the way that his messenger described him. Allah has many attributes. The view of Ahl Sunnah wa Jama'ah is that Allah has many attributes. His attributes are not limited to 7 or 20 or 30 odd. Rather, his attributes are many as they are established in the Quran and in the Sunnah of Rasulullah sallallahu alayhi wa sallam. And we learn about Allah's af'al. We learn about his actions, what Allah does, the way that he acts and so forth, the way that he, he deals with people, etc. So this is what is required of us, that we go and we learn about our Rabb. And the, the learning of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is one of the most important aspects of this religion. 
In fact, being ignorant of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is a form of neglect, is a form of negligence with regards to our religion. Ibn al-Qayyim rahimahullah, he said, وَقَدْ ذَمَّ اللَّهُ تَعَالَى مَنْ لَمْ يُعَظِّمُهُ حَقَّ عَظَمَتِهِ That Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala has dispraised, he has blamed and rebuked those who do not glorify him the way that he ought to be glorified. And those who do not know him the way that he's supposed to know him. And the one who does not describe him the way that he ought to be described. Allah has rebuked these type of people. Those do not glorify him the way he's supposed to be glorified. Those who do not know him the way that they're supposed to know him. And those who do not, who do not describe him the way that they are supposed to describe him. So a person cannot be upon a sound and true religion except by knowing his Rabb. Except by knowing who his maker and his creator is. And this is why learning about and teaching about the creator was an established principle from the da'wah of all of the messengers alayhimu salatu wassalam. Ibn al-Qayyim rahimahullah he said miftahu da'wah al-ilahiyya ma'rifatu al-rabbi ta'ala that the key to this divine da'wah is knowing the Rabb Ta'ala, is knowing who Allah Subhanahu Wa Ta'ala is. Ibn al-Qayyim rahimahullah also said, Man arafa Allah bi asma'ihi wa sifatihi wa af'alihi ahabbahu la mahala. That whomsoever knows Allah Subhanahu Wa Ta'ala by his names, by his attributes and by his actions, he will love Allah unconditionally. Or he will love Allah inevitably. It's impossible for us to have this knowledge, which is the best of knowledge. As Ibn Qayyim also said, Afdalul ulum ma'rifatullah. The best of all knowledge and sciences is the knowledge of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. So the one who acquires this knowledge of his Rabb, of his maker, his provider, then he will love Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala unconditionally. And the question is, if we do not know Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, if we do not understand who Allah is by his names and attributes and his actions, then how will we truly love him? How will we truly glorify him? And how will we truly worship him the way that we're supposed to worship him? How will we ever taste the sweetness of worship if we do not know the one that we are worshipping, subhanahu wa ta'ala. And this is why Ibn, Ibn, Sheikh al-Islam Taymiyyah rahimahullah said, He said that delight, elation and joy, happiness and a good time, wal-na'im and pleasure that cannot be expressed by words. The best and the ultimate form of happiness and delight that can never be expressed by words. Then this is only found in the knowledge of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala in his tawheed, meaning by worshipping him alone and in his in believing in him sincerely. This is the key to happiness. This is the reason and the cause for happiness in this world and the year after. Subhanallah. 
So there's in reality nothing more important than this. There's no knowledge greater than this. There is no knowledge that's more glorified than this, the knowledge of Allah Azza wa Jal. Even if we look into the Quran and the Sunnah, when we learn about the Quran and Hadith and the various sciences, the greatest part of this entire religion is the part where we learn about our Maker. And that is why, what's the greatest ayah in the Quran? It's Ayatul Kursi. Because that entire ayah describes Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. The greatest surah is Surah Al-Fatiha because it's also a description of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. The surah that is equal to a third of the Quran is Surah Al-Ikhlas, which is entirely about Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. The second point the author makes is, is to know his prophet, Muhammad sallallahu alayhi wa sallam. For he is the intermediary between us and Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala when it comes to spreading his message, the message of Allah. The one who connects us to Allah is the Prophet sallallahu alayhi wa sallam. This is how we learned, this is how the Quran reached us. And through his sunnah, we learned what the Quran means, the interpretations of the Quran and more details of this religion. So knowing the Prophet sallallahu alayhi wa sallam, this will necessitate that we accept and that we will follow whatever he has come with from Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala in terms of guidance and in terms of the correct religion. A person who knows Rasulullah sallallahu alayhi wa sallam, he knows his, his seerah, he knows his sunnah, will appreciate him, love him, and he will follow him unconditionally, blindly, because he knows who Rasulullah sallallahu alayhi wa sallam is, that he is the one who was the, the intermediary between us and Allah. And this obviously doesn't refer to worship. When we worship, we worship Allah directly. This is what this entire book will be covering, inshallah. But in terms of how the message reached us, that this is the status that Allah gave to his messenger sallallahu alayhi wa sallam. And likewise, it's the, the author then said, it's compulsory upon us to know the religion of Islam with its evidences. Evidences meaning from the Quran and the Sunnah. This is what evidence is in terms of Islam. Our evidence is based on the Quran and the Sunnah. That this is the religion Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala sent with his final messenger, Muhammad sallallahu alayhi wa sallam, and he made this religion the seal of all religions. Just like Rasulullah sallallahu alayhi wa sallam was the seal of all prophets, the Quran was the seal of all books, Islam is the seal of all religions. There will be no religion after it. And nothing will be accepted other than the religion of Islam. As Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala says, whosoever desires a religion other than Islam, it will never be accepted from him. And this is why knowing Islam is so important. Knowing what Islam actually means, what it stands for, what it entails, is so important. Knowing how to be a true Muslim is so important. Because this knowledge and this acting by the, the laws of Islam, this will be the, re the, the reason for the entrance into paradise. And being ignorant of it could be could be a reason for entering the fire when Billah. Ibn al-Qayyim rahimahullah, he said, the perfection of a person 
it revolves around two principles. Number one is knowing the haq from batil. Number one is to know the truth from falsehood. And to prefer the truth over falsehood. Two principles. Number one is to know the truth from falsehood, which can only be known from the Quran and the Sunnah. And number two is to prefer the truth over falsehood. And so he said, no person, or the, rather he said, that when it comes to creation and their status with Allah, in this dunya and the akhirah, they do not differ. Except by the amount that they differed in their status with regards to these two principles. What this basically means is these two principles, firstly, is knowing the haq and preferring it. Knowing the haq from falsehood and preferring the truth over falsehood. The more a person lives by these two principles, the higher his status will be with Allah in this dunya and in the akhirah. And there will be no differing with each other except by the amount of how much they differed in, in their status with regards to these two issues. So those who don't know the truth from falsehood will be on a much lower level. Or those who do not prefer the truth over falsehood will be on a much lower level in terms of their status with Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. So knowing the oath, knowing Allah, knowing his prophet and knowing Islam will be the questions that the person will be asked in the grave. The first questions. The hadith says the mu'min will come and two angels will sit by his sides and say to him, Man Rabbuk, who is your Rabb? And the mu'min will say, Rabbi Allah, my Lord is Allah. And the angels will say, Wama deenuka, and what is your religion? He will say, Deeni al-Islam, my religion is Islam. And then the angels will say, Ma rajul fikum? Who was this man who was sent to you? And they will say, Huwa Rasulullah sallallahu alayhi wa sallam. He is the messenger of Allah sallallahu alayhi wa sallam. However, those who do not know these three principles, who do not know their maker, who do not know Allah, who do not know Islam, who do not know the Prophet sallallahu alayhi wa sallam, and they did not live according to, uh, as if Allah was their maker, as if Allah was their Rabb, as if Islam was the religion, and as if Rasulullah sallallahu alayhi wa was the prophet, they will struggle to answer these questions. And some people will be brought, the questions will be given to them, and the hadith says they will answer and say, ha, ha, la adri, ha, ha, la adri, which is a, a form of sighing, as if they, they, they can't get it out. And so sometimes you know the answer, but it's not coming to your mind. You know the answer to, for example, in an examination, you knew the answer, but it's not coming. Imagine in the grave, the question is asked, you know the answer, but the answer is not coming. Only The only thing that's coming out of your mouth is ha, ha, la adri, wallahu musta'an. So these are the three principles that we will be studying in this book. This is the introduction to the book. And these are the three principles which will be discussed in much more detail over the coming weeks and months, insha'Allah ta'ala. Coming back to the first point the author said is, it's important for us to study four issues. The first is knowledge. Knowledge of Allah, knowledge of his Prophet, and knowledge of Islam with its evidences. The importance of seeking knowledge, we touched on last week in a general sense. And we mentioned some ayat and hadith. Some of the statements of the scholars 
we'd like to mention for, for in terms of benefit, inshallah, to show us a, a further, you know, detailed understanding of the importance of seeking knowledge. Imam Az-Zuhri, rahimahullah, he said, مَا عُبِدَ اللَّهُ بِشَيْءٍ أَفْضَلَ مِنَ الْعِلْمِ That Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is not worshipped with anything that's better than knowledge. Meaning, a person who worships Allah without knowledge can never be the same like a person who's worshipping Allah with knowledge. So the person, for example, is making salah. Two people making salah next to each other. The one makes salah knowing what he is reciting, understanding what he is reciting. He recites it with tajweed. He knows exactly in ruku' what to say, what he is saying in ruku'. He knows extra things to say in ruku'. The same with sujood, the same with the tashahud. He understands what he is saying. He knows Allah. He knows the one who is worshipping. It's like he's worshipping Allah with ihsan, as if Allah can see him or as if he can see Allah. This can never be the same like the person who's worshipping Allah in a mundane way, as if it's just an ordinary ritual that he has to do, that he does as part of his daily rituals. Because he's not worshipping Allah with insight and with knowledge. Subhanallah. So the person he prays without knowledge, meaning... He doesn't know the importance of salah. He doesn't know the virtue of the Fatiha, the greatness of the Fatiha, the tafsir and the meanings of the Fatiha. He doesn't know what it means to be in the Ruku'. He doesn't know what he's saying in the Ruku', etc. The same with all acts of worship. The one who worships Allah upon knowledge and insight can never be equal to the one who worships Allah without knowledge. And this is example why Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala says, Hal yastawin Can the one who has knowledge be equal to the one who has no knowledge? Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala makes it clear that they can never be the same. And this is why as Zuhri rahimahullah said, Ma Allahu al-ilm. That Allah can never be worshipped. Allah is not worshipped with anything better than knowledge. Imam Ahmad Bihamba said, Talabul ilmi afdalul a'mali liman sahad niyatahu. Seeking Islamic knowledge is the best of all actions for the one who purifies or rectifies his intention. For the one who purifies his intention. And he said, Al-ilmu la ya'diluhu shay'. He said, knowledge has no equivalent. Knowledge has absolutely no equivalent. Subhanallah. Ibn al-Qayyim rahimahullah, he said in a lengthy statement, Al-ilmu shari'i. This knowledge of the Sharia of Islam, Hayatul Qulub, is the, the life of the hearts. Manurul Basair, it's the light of the people of insight. Washifa Sudur, and it's the cure for what's in the hearts. Wariyadul Akul, it's like a meadow or a garden for the wise. Waladatul Arwah, it's the, the, the enjoyment of the souls. And it's the company of the lonely. It is the guide of those who are lost or confused. And it is the scale by which deeds and statements and all circumstances are weighed by. It is by that which, or it's knowledge, but is, is that which the slave knows his Rabb and with that which he worships his Rabb. It's through knowledge that he remembers Allah and he singles Allah out in worship. He praises him and he glorifies him. It's through knowledge that the slave 
gets to know about the rulings of the Sharia and how he distinguishes between halal and haram. It's through knowledge that he connects family ties because knowledge is the imam and your actions are the ma'moom, that which follows the imam. Knowledge is the leader and your actions is the follower. It is the companion in the time of loneliness and strangeness. It's the one that speaks to you in times of seclusion and it's the companion in times of wahsha, in times of loneliness. Knowledge is also the remover of doubts and the wealth that no poverty can overtake. This is the gist of what Ibn al-Qayyim mentioned. Imam Ahmed also said, people towards knowledge are more in need of it than they are towards drink and food and drink. Was a person is in need of food and drink once or twice a day only. But his need for knowledge is equal to the amount of breaths that he breathes. Imam Ahmad also said, seek knowledge and teach because this is better than jihad and other than it. Imam Abu Hanifa and Imam Malik rahimahumallah said, afdalu ma al-ilm wa ta'limu is the best thing that you can worship Allah with is to seek knowledge and to teach this deen. Ibn al-Qayyim rahimahullah said, La ya'adilu midad al-ulama illa damu shuhada That nothing is equal to the ink of the scholars except the blood of the shuhada. Imam al-Nawi rahimahullah said that the groups of the Salaf, they had an agreement that busying oneself with seeking knowledge is the best thing that one can busy themselves with. It's even better than busying oneself with, with nawafil salah, voluntary prayers, and fasting, and tasbih, and other than it, from the actions of the body. Ali ibn Abi Talib, radiyallahu anhu, he said, فَعِشْ بِعِلْمٍ وَلَا تَبْغِي لَهُ بَدَلًا النَّاسُ مَوْتَى وَأَهْلُ الْعِلْمِ أَحْيَاء He said, live with knowledge, and do not seek a substitute for it. The people are dead, whilst the people of knowledge are alive. Subhanallah. So these are just some of the statements of the ulama that we've mentioned. Alhamdulillahi Rabbil Alameen. And just to be clear, I'm reading from the book, Taysir al-Usul, Sharh Thalathatul Usul, which is authored by Abdul Muhsin al-Qasim, Hafizahullah Ta'ala, who is the Imam of Masjid al-Nabawi. Uh, Sheikh Abdul Muhsin al-Qasim, one of our teachers in the Haram of Al-Madina, Walhamdulillahi Rabbil Alameen. So, Bidnillah, this is where we will stop, and next week we will speak about the second issue which the author said is of utmost importance and fard upon us to study, and that is Al-Amal, which is the importance of acting upon that knowledge. This we will discuss next week, insha'Allah ta'ala. So before we <clears throat> wrap up for the evening, um, if there are any questions, uh, Insha'Allah ta'ala, we will try and answer them bi'ithnillah. May Allah make me from the seekers of knowledge. Ameen, Ya Rabbil Alameen. May Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala make us all of the true pious seekers of knowledge and those who uh, are the inheritors of the prophets and those who act upon the knowledge out of sincerity. Ameen, Ya Rabbil Alameen.
طيب هذه نو كويشنز طيب بارك الله فيكم uh, there's no questions tonight inshallah alhamdulillah so we will leave it at that okay there's a question coming through can you suggest a basic book for teenagers to start with islamic knowledge Allah musta'an uh, one book i think there are many books um, it also depends on the, the topic and the subject so if a person is for example studying tawheed this is one of the recommendations of the scholars that we learn uh, in tawheed because it's a basic book which um, is in, like an introduction to Tawheed and, and speaks about the important matters and so forth. Um, then if a person wants to, you know, it depends on, on the book. I, I, I would say it really depends on the subject that, that, that the person will be studying um, and so forth. So usually a book of Hadith, you would look at a book like the 40 Hadith of Imam Nawawi, rahimahullah, with a good commentary. Um, because it's again contains valuable hadith that's very important for every person to know um, of course quran that you should start with the quran memorize what's important to memorize of the quran and learn you know tajweed recitation of the quran and so forth and learn tafsir of those surahs again this is very important tafsir bin kathir tafsir al-sa'di is available in english for example this is beneficial for them, inshallah ta'ala. And obviously, it's always best for them to have a teacher. So it's one thing to have the book, but knowledge is not only sought from books. Knowledge should be sought from the from a teacher who has studied from teachers and so forth. Because right? knowledge is that which is uh, passed down from teacher to student, teacher to student, and so forth. So uh, books are beneficial, right? There are very good books out there. Uh, but more importantly, is to try and have the teen teenager in the company of of, of students of knowledge, you know, of people whom he can benefit from, you know, in the masjid and so forth, inshallah ta'ala. A book of hadith is what you meant then, I would say, if, if it's hadith that the person starts with, then again, you will most likely start with the hadith, like the 40 hadith of Imam Nawawi. In the English language, I don't know many commentaries, there's one commentary that stands out, which is the commentary of uh, Jamal, Jamaluddin, uh, I think his name is Jamaluddin, Zarabawzo is his surname, this is by far the best book in the English language. In fact, I would say it outweighs many of even the Arabic books on the Futi Hadith of Imam Nawi Rahimahullah. Um, so if a person can get that, that will be a very beneficial read. But again, try the most important thing is to actually study the Hadith with a student or a scholar so that you can maximize your benefit from that, inshallah ta'ala. Um, how to approach secular Muslims on following Islam? Subhanallah, this is a very tough question, I think. Um, if they are Muslims, then I would say it's to invite them again to, to classes, is to invite them to seeking knowledge. Because only once they see the greatness of the Quran, the greatness of the Sunnah, the greatness of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, will they change their mindset. Uh, without knowledge, without understanding the greatness of this deen, the Sharia, of Allah and the Sunnah of the Prophet Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam, then it will be very difficult to change their, their mindset. 
because their mindset currently is more on what the West has dictated and what the West teaches and so forth. So the best way to help them is to educate them and to educate them by what the Quran and Sunnah says and to show them the greatness of the Quran and the Sunnah and so forth. This is the key, I would believe, the key to changing people's mindsets, the key to changing people's lives, the, people, the key to changing their, uh, the way that they live in general is, is, to, is to try to bring them back to what the Quran and the Sunnah teaches us. Because as the Hadith says, I leave behind me two things, uh, amongst you two things. If you hold on to it, you'll never go astray. Kitabullah wa sunnati, which is the book of Allah and my and my sunnah. So this is the the the, the key and and the, to our success and our savior, which is to hold on to these two uh, sources of law, sources of revelation. And this is the the way I think people should be uh, brought back, which is to educate them, educate them to classes and so forth, so they can truly study in a correct manner. Inshallah, Allah knows best. Where would we find a scholar in the UK? I am from South Africa, from Cape Town, so I cannot comment on where you find the scholars in the UK. Uh, that you should ask the scholars in the UK or the students of knowledge in the UK and so forth. Right? That's obviously a question you need to refer to the people of the UK uh, for, inshallah. Do you hold any Islamic class at the moment? Uh, yes. The question is directed to me personally. Then yes, there's a, a course that I'm busy teaching with along with two of my colleagues, um, which is available as an online course, um, which is predominantly, well, it's, it's basically four subjects that we teach per semester, fiqh, hadith, aqidah, and another subject. Like this current semester, we're teaching the principles of tafsir and so forth. Uh, this is uh, for our institute, which is Tayyiba Institute, Cape Town. Uh, if you want to find out more about that, you can refer to our Facebook page and uh, send a message there or, or something along those lines. Now, uh, currently, I don't teach Arabic myself, no. Arab Muslims, this is a certain way, Yahudi Arabs, this is a certain way. Why did this question? Um, look, at the end of the day, a gob is just a gob, and usually these things are customary. Whether the Arabs are Muslim or not, you get Muslim Arabs and you get non-Muslim Arabs. But the garb that they choose to wear is what's the custom of the area. And for example, uh, if you take the garb that I'm wearing is what's what's worn in places like Saudi Arabia. And usually you will find the ulama, the scholars, the students of knowledge that they would wear the, the shimar, which is the, what we call the scarf, uh, in this manner, you know, without the iqal or without... Usually, but not always. At the end of the day, it's not something fixed. It's not something that's sunnah necessarily. Uh, it's something more customary. Um, and I chose this garb because that's where I studied. 
and many of my teachers wear this garb and so forth. So Alhamdulillah, there's no fixed. Sometimes I teach without it. Sometimes I teach with it. It's nothing. Uh, there's nothing special about it, and nor is there anything wrong with it. Alhamdulillah. So the general understanding in the Sunnah is that covering the head is is good, and it should be done in a customary way. This is the way it should be done. So at times, in the time of the Prophet وسلم, they used to wear a certain type of turban. But that was customary to their time. It doesn't mean that that's the way it should be worn by everybody. This is something customary. It changes from location to location and from time to time. So some scholars actually say that the turban is not actually a sunnah. It's actually a custom of the time of the Arabs. Because not only did the Prophet wear the turban, all of the Arabs wore it, even the non-Muslim Arabs. So this proves that it was not necessarily a sunnah. And as for the hadith regarding the turban, then all of them are weak. Uh, the, the hadith regarding the virtues of wearing a turban, I should say, all of them are inauthentic. And this is why some scholars have said that specifically wearing a turban is not a sunnah. So the point is the headgear and the clothing that you wear is something that's customary. And as long as it's not haram, and as long as it's not something that is odd and strange in your location, then it's completely perfect and, and completely fine to wear this wherever you are. Alhamdulillah. You please guide me to find peace. Peace is with Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. Your peace is with Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. So if you're looking for peace, then turn to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. Allah is as-salam, which is, firstly, it means the perfect one, but it's also the one who bestows peace upon us. After every salah, we say astaghfirullah three times, Allahumma anta salam wa minka salam. Oh Allah, you are as-salam, you are the perfect one and the bestower of peace, and wa minka salam, and from you is all peace. So stress, anxiety, difficulty in this world is something that happens. Our peace is found with Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. So turn back to Allah azza wa jal. Make tawbah to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala for whatever faults you have. Uh, rectify your affairs with Allah and with people. Make salah, get onto the sajada, the musalla, and, and turn to Allah azza wa jal. And beg Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala for peace and contentment. Because this is where it's found. Rasulullah sallallahu alayhi wa sallam has said that the, the coolness of my eyes was put in salah. And this is where they found their peace. So it should be found in our worship to Allah azza wa jal. And this is what we spoke about tonight. That when you know Allah, act
طيب I think I'm back online. Um, now we were discussing finding peace and I said that it's 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 as Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala also says that in the remembrance of Allah the hearts find rest. So this is what it comes down to. Um, that we need to also do some introspection, rectify our affairs and our, our connection with Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. And by doing this, we will undoubtedly find peace. So peace is found and happiness is found in worshipping Allah. This is what we need to learn. That happiness will not, true happiness will not be found in, you know, acquiring worldly benefits. The true happiness is, is will actually be found when we find it in the worship of Allah. And that will be found when we study and learn about who Allah is and about our worship and so forth and rectifying our faith with Allah. Then we will taste true worship and true happiness, inshallah ta'ala. Um, and Allah Azza wa Jal knows best. What is the purpose of Salah in Islam? Um, firstly, Salah has many benefits and many um, has a great status, should I say. It has many ahadith about the importance of Salah and, and so forth. Uh, the question of the purpose of Salah, um, then Salah is our daily connection with Allah Azza wa Jal. Our Salah is our daily connection with Allah, where we connect with our Maker at least five times a day. At least five times a day. So the purpose of Salah, from only from this angle, and there are various angles that we can look at this question from, um, but at least from this question is that we pray five times a day, morning, afternoon, uh, later, later afternoon, Asr, then we pray after in the evening for, for Maghrib and then at night for Isha. Just by upholding the five daily prayers, a person maintains a connection with his maker. And this is one of the purposes that it keeps us connected with Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala and it, it brings us back to our maker. So we, at times we are busy with the dunya, busy seeking wealth, busy studying, busy working, etc., busy with people, our family, our friends, and we become distracted from from our goal in this world, which is to worship Allah. But the moment we hear the adhan, salah, come to salah, al-falah, come to your success, come to success, then this is a wake-up call five times a day that we need to get back to our goal, which is to worship Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. This is the, the reason that we were created, which is our servitude and worship to our creator subhanahu wa ta'ala. So at least one purpose of salah is that it is there as a reminder of our purpose in this world. And it is there as a daily connection with Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. But as I said, uh, there are many other things that we can speak about on the purpose of salah and so forth. But inshallah, that is sufficient for now. And Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala knows best. The three knots. So the hadith is in Bukhari, which mentions that the shaitan... He, he basically blows three knots upon uh, upon a person when he's asleep. So, um, and this is one of the, the, the abilities that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala has given the jinn and the shaitan. And this is also one of the reasons why it's so important for us to uphold our salah and to uphold salatul fajr. Because when we wake up for fajr and we purify ourselves and we start to pray, then one by one, those knots are removed, right? That one by one, those knots are removed. When we do not do this, 
then you will find yourself fatigued. You will find yourself throughout the day, you are lagging behind. You're not as efficient as you would like to be because you are lagging behind because of these knots by the shaitan. This does not mean that you are possessed by the shaitan or that you are in control or the shaitan is basically in control of you. It's not what's meant. Rather, it means that the shaitan has put these knots on you as a way to, to slow you down, as a way to, to, to keep you back and so forth. And Allah knows best. So the idea is that when we pray, we wake up, we pray and so forth, those knots are, those knots are removed. And we will have a much more beneficial and a much more efficient day, inshallah ta'ala. Right? Are we, I get a feeling I'm still affected by shaitan. Um, the, the idea that we are affected, look, what's important is that we do not give the shaitan or the jinn kind more importance or more authority than what Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala has given them. So we are believers, we are Muslimun, we have the upper hand over them. This is very important for a Muslim to understand and we do not fear them. Because the, it's, this is the way it's supposed to be. That the true believer does not fear them. We are aware of their existence. We are aware of their threats and what they can do in terms of position and so forth. But ultimately, we are not fearful of them. We are fearful of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. We put our trust in Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. And we pray our salah, salatul fajr. The one who prays fajr is in the protection of Allah. The hadith in Sahih Muslim says this. So the believer, he prays, he makes his adhkar after salah, he makes his adhkar in the morning. And this is a course that we did in Ramadan. We discussed this in Ramadan, the morning and evening adhkar, the sunnah prophetic adhkar to be done. We did it through uh, the same platform, alhamdulillah. Uh, those are of, of such importance that it's your daily protection for your morning, for your evening. So the person who does this, the person who does this, he is in the protection of Allah and he should believe this. He should have yaqeen and certainty that he's in the protection of Allah and he should not then be fearful of shaitan and so forth. So when the shaitan gives you waswasa and he suggests to you that he's overpowering you or he's, he's, he's this and he's that, a'udhu billahi min shaitanir rajim. You seek refuge in Allah from shaitan and you carry on and you do not give him more importance because he's not worth that time and that fear and, and, and all that. You put your trust in Allah, you do what you have to do of your salah and your adhkar and your belief in Allah, and the rest you leave to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. Whoever puts his trust in Allah, فَهُوَ حَسْبُ Then Allah is sufficient for him. The Quran tells him, Whoever puts his trust and reliance in Allah, then Allah will be sufficient for him. So this is the key, inshallah, that, that we shouldn't uh, give the shaitan more than what he's worth, and Allah Azza wa Jal knows best. Is it preferred to sleep at night, to sleep during the day and working at night, okay? Uh, the sunnah is to sleep early at night. The Prophet Sallallahu mentioned to us that if you pray the Isha and you have nothing of importance to do, then sleep. Do not waste your time and so forth, right? And, and the sunnah is also to make the use of your mornings because the Prophet ﷺ mentioned that Allah has placed barakah in the mornings for this ummah. 
Allah has placed barakah, blessings in the mornings for this ummah. So this is the ideal way. And then to take a nap in the afternoon if possible. A qaylula as it's called. To take a small nap in the afternoon if possible. Uh, the Prophet sallallahu alayhi wa sallam used to take naps. And he said we should take naps because the shaitan do not take naps. So to be different from them. Right? This is the best way uh, in terms of your sleeping patterns and so forth. If this is possible. Right? If this is possible. Um, now. If it's possible, you should try and do it this way. If it's not possible, depending on your schedule, depending on your, your working times and so forth, then you have to do what you have to do. And Allah Azza wa Jal, la yukallifullahu nafsan illa wusaha. Any tips on improving memorization of the Quran? Uh, many tips. First of all, make istighfar. Make istighfar, lots of istighfar. And tawbah to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. Um, secondly, there are various ways and methods that, that different people use. Um, some research on it will be good where you can find a way that suits your abilities. Um, so some scholars mention you should break the eye up, repeat it up to 20 times, for example, then add the next part, put both parts together, add the next part, put all three parts together, and so forth. Um, what's important is your time, time management, being steadfast, making lots of dua to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala to make it easy, that Allah grants you steadfastness and so forth. Um, and then there are other methods that you could use, for example, is to listen to recordings of certain scholars, uh, reciters, and I mean, there's certain websites and apps that you can find that will repeat the same ayah over and over and over. Um, another benefit, another very important part of memorization is to look as much as possible. So you're looking into the Quran and the Mus'haf as much as possible so that the more you see the ayah, the more you'll picture it eventually. So part of memorization is also to picture the verse in front of you. Um, also to read up on the translation and, and meaning of the ayat so that you understand what you are memorizing. This also can make it easier and so forth. And uh, there are many other things like if you were to do some research on it, I'm sure you'd come across some other tips and so forth. And Allah knows best. Now, so waswas, this is the effect of waswas. The effect of waswas is that it is, is all about creating doubt. Waswas is all about creating doubt. So that you doubt your salah, you doubt your fatiha, you doubt your wudu, you doubt various things. And so the, this is one of the, the plots of the shaitan is to create doubt by through his, his insinuating whispers, right? And this is first and foremost to Chestwood Lad, I think it's a brother. First and foremost... Understand that was was only happens to true believers, as the scholars have mentioned. Because what will the shaitan do with a ruined house? Meaning, the person who's ruined and misguided and already upon the path of misguidance, shaitan doesn't really bother with them when it comes to was was in general. And this is why scholars would actually give glad tidings to the people who get was was. Because it's actually a good sign that inshallah you're doing something right and this is what shaitan wants in terms of him trying to disrupt your worship and so forth. So when it comes to waswas, what's important, I always stress this, is most important thing is knowledge. Is knowledge. Because knowledge is how you overcome waswasa. The shaitan suggests something to you, your knowledge will counter whatever he suggests. Shaitan will whisper something to you, whatever he whispers, your knowledge will counter what he's whispering. 
So always seek knowledge. If it's an issue with wudu and purity, seek knowledge about these issues. If it's an issue with salah, seek knowledge about uh, salah so that you know how to react when the waswasa takes place. And you act with knowledge and you don't pay attention to doubts. Rasulullah sallallahu alayhi wa sallam, uh, was, it was mentioned to him about a, uh, in a hadith about a man who was unsure whether he passed wind or not. He was not sure. So the Prophet said, La yansarif. This man, he should not get up from his prayer. Hatta yajid sawtan aw rihan. Until he finds a smell or he hears a sound. Yasma' sawtan aw yajid rihan. Until he hears a sound, meaning that he's broken wind, or he finds a smell. Meaning, when there's doubt, if you know for certain that you've broken wind, you've broken wind. If you are completely uncertain, but you there's some sort of doubt there, the Prophet is teaching us a principle which is, don't get up. Because we don't pay attention to doubts. Because doubts opens the door to shaitan and his waswasa. And so what we should do is, we should only act upon what we are certain of. So you make your dhikr, you take your wudu, you make your salah, etc. And you don't pay attention to what doubts come forth. You act, you do your, your, your ibadat as best as you can. And whatever waswas comes and brings about doubt, ignore it. And carry on. Um, and again, this is why the importance of the daily adhkar is so important. It's a protection against waswasa. Also in the salah, when you're having thoughts, it's a sunnah to spit dryly three times over your left shoulder because it's a specific shaitan, khinzab, is his name, who comes to disturb us in salah. Every person. So when this happens, we should spit dryly three times over the left shoulder and seek refuge in Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. This is some of the basic ways to counter waswasa. Seek knowledge about those issues so that you can counter the, the doubts with knowledge. Act upon knowledge and certainty and ignore doubts, as mentioned in the hadith. And keep on dispelling the doubts. The moment you allow the doubts to creep in, that is when the waswasa will become more severe. So it's about this expelling the doubts from the get-go and never allowing the doubts in. And then obviously seek refuge in Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala and ask Allah Azza wa Jal to make it easy. Ameen, Rabbil Alameen. How to increase in lowering the gaze? Uh, fear Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala and know that Allah azza wa jal sees you and is aware of you at every moment and every time. Ittaqillaha haythu ma kunt. As the hadith says, fear Allah wherever you are. And again, we spoke tonight about the importance of knowing Allah. So when we learn about who Allah is, we learn that Allah is al-basir. We learn that he's, one of his beautiful names is the one who sees everything. We know that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is the one who monitors every single thing. And he is al-alim. He is the one who is knowledgeable of every single thing, the all-knowing. And so what the Salaf and the scholars would say was is that the greatest thing that can prevent us from sin, the greatest thing that can keep us away from sin, the greatest warn, warning for us is to know that Allah is al-alim. Is to know that Allah is Al-Alim. This is the, the greatest zajir in Arabic, what we use the word zajir, which means it's that thing which keeps you away, that thing which warns you, keeps you away because you understand that Allah is Al-Alim. So the fact that you know that Allah is Al-Alim, this makes you aware that Allah is aware of what I'm doing. Allah knows exactly what I'm planning. Allah knows exactly what tricks I'm, I'm up to. 
So when it comes to lowering the gaze, which is a great fitna, especially in today's time, especially in today's time on social media and so forth, it's a great fitna. So number one, know that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is watching. So fear Allah azza wa jal. Number two, repent, make tawbah, and try your best not to re return back to the sin. Number three is cut off the means to that sin. So if you're, if the, uh, the the issue of lowering the gaze or, or looking at haram is happening, for example, on social media, delete the social media. If it's happening on a certain platform, delete that platform. Cut off the means to haram, right? Close the doors to haram. If it's happening in public, then be away in public and, and try to make more adhkar in public, make istighfar and so forth to keep your mind occupied. Because one of the plots of the shaitan is that he he um, he feeds off the empty mind, the mind that's that's idle, idle minds, and this is the opportunity for shaitan to come and to direct a person to fitna and so forth. So it's to keep busy, and this is why the hadith says, for example, we spoke about it earlier. If you're not doing anything after isha, go sleep, because the moment you're doing nothing, that idle will lead eventually to something bad and something disliked or something haram because that's when shaitan takes um, he takes advantage of Allah and of course seek help from Allah Azza wa Jal because only Allah subhanahu wa can change our fears he's the turner of the hearts he turns the hearts between his two fingers as he, as he pleases as the hadith says and Allah subhanahu wa knows best Now, uh, brother Haika, that's an excellent quote from Ibn Qayyim, rahimahullah, which is which is very very true. Alhamdulillah, that the eye is the mirror of the heart. So if the slave lowers his gaze, the, the heart will lower its desires and whims. And if he lets his gaze wander, the desire in his heart will be released. And this is why the, the scholar said that zina starts with the look. Zina starts with the look. The moment you look at the opposite sex and you become attracted, that's when the zina starts. Meaning. That's how it ends up. I mean, it will lead from there to the next step, to the next step, to the next step, until you end up in zina. When I will be Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala protect us. May Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala purify our hearts. May Allah purify our gazes, our, our yearning. May Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala um, protect us from all of the fitan that are out, that is out there. That which is apparent, that which is hidden. Uh, because wallahi, it's, it's, it's a fitna for every single person. And, and it's a fitna for male and female, it's a fitna for all. And like I said, today it's widespread. So it requires us to really take the means to protecting ourselves. So may Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala make that easy for us. And may He guide us at all times. Amin ya Rabbil Alameen. I think we'll call it a night. These classes are supposed to be half an hour long. Alhamdulillah, I think the Q&A is always beneficial for all. Alhamdulillah um, Rabbil Alameen. So up until next week, inshallah, we'll continue with our discussion on Thalathatul Usul. Um, Insha'Allah Ta'ala. Wa sallallahu ala nabiyyina Muhammad wa ala alihi wa sahbihi ajma'in. Subhanakallahumma wa bihamdik. Shadu ala ilahi illa anta astaghfiruka wa atubu ilayk. Assalamu alaikum wa rahmatullahi wa barakatuhu.